Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. I wish I could tell you, for those of you who had your Bibles, you could flip open to a page or a verse, but uh, we're going to be all over the map today. So if you want to, just because you uh, are used to that, you can flip over to John chapter 3. Uh, we'll get there eventually, uh, like at the end, uh, but we'll get there. So if that's what you want to do. But hey, uh, I just want to tell you that it is probably one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, first of all, if you didn't know what this morning was like, um, it was a, an amazing three degrees when I woke up this morning and we got out there at five o'clock in the morning and just the anticipation of knowing that something that's going to happen every single day is going to happen again, which is the sunrise. And uh, knowing that, wait a second, also, just like it was supposed to happen over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was risen. And that's why I think that I have the, uh, the fondest memories of Easter, not just because I got to wear amazing clothes and, you know, uh, growing up, because we had four boys in my family, um, but uh, just because it, it is the time where we get to celebrate the very pinnacle of what we believe. The rest of the world actually also celebrates Easter, whether you realize it or not. Uh, they celebrate in crazy different ways. But the funny thing is to me is that there, I don't think that there's anybody that I've ever met in my whole entire life who has said that Jesus doesn't, never existed. It just, it's just not a thing that everybody during this season, I think whether they celebrate it or not, have this inkling that something happened over 2,000 years ago. And it's so important to us that we even actually take breaks. It's incredible to me that we call it Easter break here for school. Like it's something special. And I think that we also start to realize that this is around the time of spring where new life begins and all of that stuff. And so I love the fact today that we get to celebrate the empty tomb. Because all of you are here right now, this is what you are saying. That there is validity in and truth in the fact that Jesus Christ rose. And if we all are here, maybe some of you have gotten dragged here. Some of you guys are uh, maybe going, well, this is just what I do every year. That's, that's fine, but I want you to realize something. That you see somewhere in your heart that this is the truth. And if it is the truth and if it is something we need to uh, look at and just dive into, I wonder if you'd be willing to do that today. If you would be willing to look at the truth and go, man, then that means that I have to change, maybe, or maybe I have to work on something in my life. Maybe I have to take on some of the things that Jesus said because if his resurrection is true, that means absolutely everything he said was true. And so that's where we're going to start today. That's where we're going to go and dive into some of the things that Jesus said. But first, this is what I want to do. I want to pray with you, if that's all right. Hey, God, the only reason why I'm praying, I know that we prayed just a little bit ago, but uh, Lord, we want to make sure that our hearts are in the right spots. That God, that this is not just simply words thrown out there, but it is where we start to go, God, please talk to our hearts. Please dive in and see if there is any offensive way in us. And lead us into the way everlasting. And so God, would your word ring out true today? In your name we pray. Amen. So as I was planning for this sermon and just thinking about empty grave, right? And just trying to figure out, like, where, where are we going to go as a church this morning? Because, um, man, I, if, I, I would love it if I just said, hey, this... Let's just talk about only Jesus, which I'm going to do today. But, uh, man, I, I just began to think, is there some sort of tagline? Is there some sort of thing that we could get around? And the one thing I know that um, we can get around is chocolate. There are some of you in this room that don't like chocolate. And so um, you have to talk to Jesus about that. 
And there's others of you who just like sweets. And so um, I went along and I grabbed some chocolate bunnies. Now, if you didn't realize about chocolate bunnies, there are different types of chocolate bunnies. I, I had no clue about this. There are some that are completely fit, like all chocolate, right? You can buy, you can go to Albertsons and buy a pound of chocolate, right? A whole pound. There are some that you can buy five pounds and those are really huge bunnies. But my goal was to find a bunny that I remember when I was a little kid. The bunnies that I remember as a little kid were completely hollow. The bunnies that you were hoping were the bunnies that like uh, were just completely filled with chocolate because you wanted that goodness. You wanted all of it, right? But what happens when you don't know whether it's a hollow bunny or a regular bunny, right? Like you've chomped into that bunny that's completely solid, right? Like it's like you actually have to use your back teeth a little bit and shave it off or something like that, but a hollow bunny. A hollow bunny is the type of bunnies that you, that you open up and you don't sometimes know if they are because I really don't know if this is a hollow bunny or not. I just went online and I was just like, give me a chocolate bunny, right? But man, you don't know whether it is or whether it isn't. And so at some point, you've got to take your first bite. Now, there are some of you in this room that would just do this, right? Oh, so full right? And then you'd be done, right? There are some of you in the room like this. Me, me, I'm all about seeing if this thing is hollow, right? And so I will throw it in my mouth and I will just chomp it, right? I will just chomp down with all the force that I can muster. And what usually happens to Seth Runner is the chocolate goes everywhere, right? I'm a really messy eater, and when I chomp down on it, I'm always disappointed by a hollow bunny because you'd go to all that work eating it and you get very little chocolate in your mouth. That's actually the problem with both bunnies, right? The bunny that's full, you can't get a lot because it's hard, but man, with these, you, you don't know whether they're, ah, see, it's hollow. It's crazy to me. What a, what a waste of air. <laughs> you could put chocolate in that but you're instantly saddened. For those of you who love chocolate, you're instantly saddened because it's hollow. There's nothing in there. And so then I started thinking about the empty tomb. <laughs> How am I gonna go from hollow bunnies to empty tomb, right? But I wonder if you realize today that the empty tomb doesn't contain hollow promises like a hollow Easter bunny does. Because really, when we boil it down, that's just chocolate. I just paid $10 for a piece of chocolate that I could have gotten for a dollar from a Hershey's bar, right? But because it was an Easter bunny, right? I'm shocked by the fact that when we go to something like this, we expect it to be something else. Like why, why couldn't, and I can't find one of these by the way, why couldn't this yummy, cream egg, Cadbury cream egg, just be put in this hollow bunny. Like, wouldn't that be so much better? Wouldn't like the cream, like get in there. It'd be so much better. It just like when you bit it, it would like ooze out onto your beard. It would just be, ladies, um, it would just be incredible. Well, the problem is, is that we are duped into things like that all the time, aren't we? How about this? You guys ever hear this one? We, sign, we see a sign that says 90 days, same as cash, cash for furniture that we've wanted and TVs and all. Or a car sale with no down payment. Or we needed, we needed a payday loan. Only to find out that 90 days, same as cash. If we forget to make a payment or don't pay it off in 90 days, it becomes 90 days, same as an exclusive trip to Hawaii for a year. When you come back, you're fatter and win way more in debt. The no payment down looks like 27% interest rate for, for a 10-year loan. The payday loans look like half your paycheck is gone when you get it. We jump on a diet plan that promises, promises us that, guess what? You can lose 
10 pounds in a week. But we forget that it can only feed a squirrel. And in two days, it leaves us seeing mirages. This actually happened to me, by the way, just to let you know. I, the other day, I was trying to, like, be good and, and get on this, like, hey, eat this better. And literally, after two days, I started thinking about Twinkies. I've, I don't like Twinkies, right? Like, I don't desire Twinkies any other day of my life. Okay, maybe sometimes. Or we think that we can eat our weight in empty calories. Man, I could just have all this stuff because it's really just empty calories. I'm good. Thinking that we can get skinny, but change nothing. We read self-help books and listen to podcasts that will boost our paycheck or get us more followers or get us more friends. But soon we find out that the only thing that helps is the pocketbook of the person writing those things. Or the fact that when we read those things, we realize we really don't want to change. We really don't desire to really make any difference in our lives. We do everything we can to get more friends on social media, only to find out that we are more lonely because we often compare their good times to our normal everyday life and think they have it so much better. I'm telling you, life is absolutely beautiful. But sometimes in the race to get more, strive to be better, get ahead, we find that we often are faced with hollow promises all the time. I only write any of these things down because almost every one of them have happened to me. Yet what if I told you that the empty empty grave doesn't contain hollow promises? What if today you could come somewhere and you could go, man, all of the things that I've got going on in my life, man, I can have a promise for that. Uh, There is a way out for that. I have a way of changing what's going on. Because the the promises we find in the empty tomb allow us to have a life full of desiring God first and allowing him to point us in the direction of a true heart and life change. A different perspective of worldly possessions, a place where we find true identity and self-worth, a place where we find forgiveness, deliverance from addictions, and the promise to lead us to a future with him. That's what an empty grave does. And I'm here to tell you that the rest of the book, whatever Jesus said, if it wasn't an empty tomb, the promises that Jesus said would be empty as well. It'd be completely hollow. If this tomb still had Jesus in it, we would not need to be here today. It would be, it would be uh, man, the blind leading the blind. There, and I have to say this over, and I hope you get this today, there is absolute significance in the empty tomb. But here's my fear today. My fear is that we will miss it today, that we will go back to work tomorrow and think that it's just, that all the empty tomb does is have hollow promises. Like a lot of other things in our lives, we'll try to maybe change one or two things because, man, we know that there's truth in Jesus, but maybe we don't want to have the true heart change. Or maybe we're stuck in a normal life and we Man, we, we just have a hard time going, why isn't God taking care of this? Man, why isn't God taking care of my finances or changing my marriage, my marriage or changing my relationships? And sometimes I wonder that if we could take these promises and actually go, no, how does it change me? Not God change something, but how does it change me? By taking these promises and going, please, I want to change because you see, I struggle to follow Christ in his ways, but quite frankly, I think sometimes we just choose not to see the promises of God. Many times, actually, I get in the moment and and I end up holding the bag full of hollow promises that I think would turn to gold in my relationship with God with sometimes because I expect maybe him to be doing something for me or that I think that it's going to be a lot easier. Man, if I would just maybe tweak this, 
I think we find ourselves with broken relationships, self-doubt, low self-control, desires for what others have, and a loss of direction. But I think if we would look at these promises of Jesus Christ, we would go, those things don't matter anymore. And we're going to dive into a little bit of that stuff. We're going to look at today about seven promises that come out of Jesus' mouth at the time of his death on the cross. There are seven things that Jesus says on the cross uh, that have kind of, man, they're, they're all through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first seven books of the New Testament. And I think that as we look at these sayings of Jesus, they show us and they reveal the promise of God. These sayings mean nothing if the resurrection did not happen. If the resurrection didn't happen, they are simply the ramblings of a dead man. They actually don't have any truth in our lives. So today my hope is that we can look at them in honesty. In honesty in terms of who we are, in terms of who God is. That we would be willing to turn our hearts towards him and trust him. To be the lead of our lives, not just on Easter Sunday, but absolutely every day of the rest of the year. For decades and cent- well, yeah, for decades and centuries to come. Some of us might get to live that old. So here's the first one. I'm going to read them to you really quickly, and then we're going to dive into them and, and see what they have for us. And the very first one is this. Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, 43, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And we're going to go back through these. And so, man, I'm going to go through them really quick. John 19, 26 and 27, woman talking to his mom, Mary, behold your son and son, behold your mother. Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John 19, 28, I thirst. John 19:30 It is finished. And Luke 23:46 Father into thy hands I commend I commend my spirit. I love the fact that we can look at every single one of those and see a promise in them. And some of you might look at me a little confused going, great, let's, let's see how you're going to do this. But I think that as Jesus says these things, he's not only just saying them for himself and his relationship with God, but for everybody who watches. And so let's just dive into these and spend some time in each and every one of these seven. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes with me, it's the very first one. Forgiveness is offered because of the resurrection of Christ. When Jesus at the very, on the very cross says, forgive them for for they know not what they're doing. This is Christ's plea for God to forgive us. And I will tell you that because of the resurrection, we have an opportunity for forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 looks like this. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness. Jesus had to be on the cross to be able to take the punishment of our sins. He says, it's okay, I forgive you. I will be the perfect lamb that you can't be or don't have. And so, because of my shed blood, you now have the ability for forgiveness. Only on the cross can Jesus say that. Hebrews 12, 24 goes on to say, You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates your sins and turns to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive... Did I miss that? Sorry, I read the wrong one. You were too fast. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and the people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. 
Jesus, in his dying moment, was not asking for vengeance or wasn't asking to be taken off of a cross. He was asking for your forgiveness. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to receive forgiveness. All of the other hollow promises on forgiveness is based on this, that you should just get vengeance and get what you need. What if, if you think about this, what if God gave the vengeance to you that you deserve? C.S. Lewis kind of says it like this. He says, because of you are able to forgive because you were forgiven. Actually, that says in the Bible, but I know that I just messed up that, that phrase, but that's okay. C.S. Lewis says this. You were able to forgive the unacceptable because Jesus has forgiven the unacceptable in you. Forgiveness is offered because of the resurrection of, of Christ. Acts 2.38. Uh, yeah, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to have forgiveness. How many times have you either been stuck by not being able to forgive other people or even understand that you're forgiven? Man, how many times have you come across somebody who says, I'm not good enough to be forgiven? How could God love me? God loves you because Jesus Christ did this very thing. He's able to forgive you because Christ died on the cross and was resurrected. The empty tomb contains the promise of forgiveness. Number two, salvation is given because of the resurrection of Christ. Luke 23, 43 says this, and Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. That comes from the guy who is on the cross who after Jesus is being mocked and they're saying, why don't you save yourself why don't you give off, get off this cross and be able to save yourself? You said that you're the king and that you're God. Why don't you do this? But salvation wasn't for Jesus. He already knew what was going on. Salvation was for us. The man who's beside him on the cross says, man, don't you guys get it? This is truly the son of God. He doesn't deserve this. And then he goes, God, would you, Jesus, would you just remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus says this very thing. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. You have salvation because of me. You are saved because of me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is what salvation means. That means that the forgiveness that is imparted onto you now brings salvation. Now brings salvation in terms of you are saved in the future, in the future for having eternal life, and we'll get there, we're going to get there, but right now, Right now you have salvation to no longer be a slave to sin. No longer be held down by those things that continually attack you over and over. You have freedom from the addictions, freedom from needing to perform for everybody. No, salvation is from Christ. And, and since it's from Christ, then we live for him every day. Brian talked about it last week in having the helmet of salvation. Why do we have the helmet of salvation? Because, man, when we become the point of saying Christ is our all in all and we want to be saved, that's when we start getting attacked. We start fighting with others and our inner selves to continue to want to live the way Christ has asked us to live. But there's also hope because in that, not only can we live for Christ now, but man, there is never a moment where we can't ask people 
to have a relationship with God. At the very moment of this guy's last few hours of life, he cries out, God, would you please save me? Jesus, would you please remember me? And Jesus offers salvation because he knows the resurrection is coming. There is no salvation without an empty tomb. Number three, relationship was forged because of the resurrection of Christ. I love this beautiful picture of John chapter 19 verses 26 and 27. Because when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, who is John, by the way, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciples, his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Where else in all, man, I know there's examples, but where else can it so easily be because of the love that I've been shown Christ, I can then man, have, mother, have a mother who is not my biological mom and take care of them and, and be uh, in the same household. It is the kingdom of God that we have relationships. In fact, actually, Paul says it beautifully in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. He says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. I would even go, I mean, man, I would even go into mother and son. It is, we are all one and we all take care of each other. We are all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now I'm gonna take a little side note because I wanna go back to the Abrahamic covenant way back in Genesis. God finds Abraham and he says this, he goes, man, I want you to leave everything you have. I want you to leave your father and mother and I am going to show you a place, a new place, and I'm gonna make you a great nation and you're gonna have more children than the stars are in the sky. And you will be a blessing to nations who bless you and you will be a curse to nations who curse you. This is phenomenal right here. That, that Paul is saying that when we are one in Christ, we now are in the Abrahamic covenant. We are a part of being a nation who blesses absolutely everybody. It's no longer about race, nationality, skin color, anything like that. It's somebody's done something wrong to us. No, we have the desire to have a relationship. Without Christ, I really truly believe that without Christ and without his resurrection, it should be get what you can get. But it's not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are concerned about one another and we actually desire to help one another out. Relationship was forged because of the resurrection of Christ. Number four, never again would we be abandoned because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew 27, 46. At the three o'clock hour, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Same thing in Mark 15, 34. I'm not going to read it again because I just totally butchered that. I don't know if this is, sure, this is, could be a theological thing in which we say, well, this is the very first time that Jesus was separated from God. We, we actually don't know. But one of the things that I think about is this, is that never, well, actually I do, never in Jesus' life was he ever apart from God. But because we know that salvation and forgiveness and relationship come because of Jesus on the cross, we can now know that because all of that is imparted with us, we are not abandoned. You are never alone. I mean, that should make you actually tremble a little bit, but make you feel amazing. In the Old Testament, it talks about, Jesus, about God, 
his thoughts about you are far greater than the number of grains of sand. That his thoughts about you are higher than the mountains. He has not abandoned you. And if you feel like maybe he has, maybe you should just turn around and look. He's right there. Maybe you should question how far you've gone away and abandoned God himself. John 14, 15 through 20 is the perfect example for us of not abandoning. Because here's what happens when Jesus goes away and we believe in Christ. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit which leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not abandoned by God. There's lots more verses that I could go into that you're no longer orphans, that you're adopted into the kingdom of God. But you do realize that there is nowhere, read Psalms 139 and it gives you a perfect example, that you are never far from God. He knows absolutely everything about you. He knows your heart. And he's saying all those before, you have forgiveness, you have salvation, you have relationship, and I'm not going anywhere. I know your dark and dirty secrets, but here's the deal. I'm not abandoning you. I want you to turn and trust me in all areas of your life. I'm not going away. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but that's okay. Number five. Jesus is the answer to our thirst because of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. John 19, 28 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. I love the picture of the woman at the well. He comes, she comes out in the midday while he's sitting there about lunchtime and she strikes up this amazing theological conversation in John chapter 4 if you want to read it. It's, it's pretty impressive and I'm not going to go into detail but she wants to know where the right place to worship is. And she wants to know all of the answers so that maybe she has a little bit one up or she knows that she is right. I mean, how many of us are in conversations with one another, brothers, maybe we get around, that all of a sudden it's kind of this match of who's more right than the other person, right? Or we like to go, hey, who knows more about Scripture? Or, man, man, I, did you, do you see how big of a boat I got? How big's yours, right? I don't know why I thought about boat. I just, yeah, it's boating season, y'all. We thirst for a lot of things. And I think back to when Jesus was tempted by Satan in, uh, in the desert. And Satan tries to get him to do all of the earthly things that he would want if he would just bow down. And this right here is him. Man, I, I think it's him showing us that maybe he's identifying with our sin a little bit. Not that he is sin. That's not what I'm trying to say. But when he says, I'm thirsty, that is a completely human response but then Jesus goes on to tell this woman at the at the well this in John 4 14 but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life and that's what we do when we find all of our Man, identity, direction in Jesus Christ. We actually don't, aren't concerned with all the other things of this world. 
We're concerned about him and him only. Number six, moving fast. Here we go. Sin and death are conquered because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John 19, 20. When Jesus had tasted, uh, 19, 20, sorry. I'll read it. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished means that as he's died on the cross, as he died on the cross, he knows that he has conquered the grave all the way back to what Brian read us this morning. He has won. It is finished. He no longer has to keep on teaching us anything. He has taught us all that we need to know. And he's conquered death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. Let me just go in there a little bit more. The law shows us that we could never be right in the first place. The law shows us that sin has the power over us. And that we need to come at some point and repent from that and turn from those ways. And so, because Christ has the victory over sin and death, it goes on and says, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You are no longer a slave to sin. It has no power over you. You simply need to say, Christ, how do I deal with this? Move me and help me out with this. Number seven. We are united in him because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and await his return. Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. He has entrusted everything else to God now. He is saying that I've done what I need to do and, and I now know that I can be united with you. And because of that, it already said back what we read a little bit ago, that we are united in Christ. And so, because of the resurrection, we're united with God as well. And we look forward to the future. It's, a, it's an already then, but not yet. We are here to do what God has asked us to do, which Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. Man, it changes our viewpoint. Philippians 2.16 then says, Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Man, because we're united with Christ, the things that he's asking us to do are not hard. They're not difficult. They are what we desire to do because we await for his return. So my question then at the very end of all of this, so how do we partake in these promises? Because there are some of you in this room who have, who have been Christians for years. And you still don't live as if you were forgiven. Or you don't live as if you've had salvation. Or relationships are still really hard for you because you put up barriers. You think that possibly God has abandoned you because you're going through hard things. You still thirst for everything that the world has to offer. You haven't really conquered many of your sins or our sins. And we simply don't live as if we're united with Christ. You see, I think that these are all promises from God, but they're also things that we can see for ourselves and, and walk in them. But there's others of you who I see you have forgiveness all over, 
and that you live as if you're saved and you look at everybody in relationship and say, hey, how can I help them? And that you know that even if life is hard, you're not abandoned. And you don't, you don't thirst for many things because you realize that everything comes from God and that you are working on conquering your sin. And that you cannot wait for the day in which you are not only united with God here, but up in heaven. And then there are those of you also in this room who are just going, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Because my life so far has been a shamble and I don't see any of this. I don't really see how God could forgive me or how God saves me or, man, I've, I've ruined relationships. And you just wonder how God is helping you out. I want to give you a little hope this morning. And I think if you still have your finger on John, 3, 3, John chapter 3, I'd love you to go to it with me. Because here it is. This is, the very, there's, this is the very start because I could sit here for days telling you more about these things, but this is the first step today. Wherever you find yourself in, this is the hope for those of you who've been Christians for years, who have claimed to be Christians and going, ah, this is new to me. And those of you in this room who are just going, man, I, I don't know this Jesus thing. Here it is right here. This is the very first step. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to tell you how bad you were. Jesus came to give forgiveness, salvation, relationship, to tell you that you weren't a bad and to tell you that you don't need to keep thirsting, to tell you that you can, be, that you can conquer sin and that you are united with Christ. That's what he did. He didn't come to tell you how horrible of a person you are. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this. Here it is. You ready? That God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Because of the truth of God and who he is, you do feel judged because you know your sin. You know where you need to come to these points and go, okay, I'm going to change. There is judgment for the person who continues to do evil when the truth is, has been revealed. Here's the deal. This is a turning and trusting in his ways, not simply just saying, yep, I believe that I will have eternal life. No, we need to desire him. We need to trust in him, and we need to turn away from what's going on in our lives. That do not show that we're trusting in him. When we come closer to God, we have to face the hollow promises that we have believed blindly for a long time. Today may be the perfect day for you to decide that God, man, that God's promises are not hollow in your life. That these promises from God are actually true and available to you. We all need to turn from our sin and trust in his ways. You have the perfect opportunity today because here's the deal. I'm going to ask the worship band to come forward. And we're going to take communion together. And you're going to get to spend some time today looking at these, man, looking at these promises and going, hey, would you, God, reveal to me in my life where I am not trusting in your promises? God, would you reveal to me where, man, maybe I need to work a little bit more on this promise. Maybe today this is the first time that you've ever really gone, nope, I absolutely believe that these promises are real. Maybe that's the first time for you. And this is a great time for you because as you come up and take communion today, this is what you're saying as you take communion, is that you believe that Jesus Christ 
was crucified on the cross, buried, and raised three days later so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. So that we could turn from our sins and believe in all these promises and start trusting in the way God is asking us to move. You have plenty of time to take communion today. You don't have to rush forward. Um, but we are going to take communion. And I, and I ask that you would take the time in your own heart to actually look at what's going on inside. God, I, I really don't trust you because I feel like you've abandoned me. And God, I, I don't feel a part of a church family. Would you help me know that I'm not abandoned? God, I thirst for so many other things. Whatever it might be in all of these promises, would you spend the time this morning either thanking God that, he, that these promises are true because of the resurrection of Christ or that you would ask him to enter into your heart and go, man, what way do I need to change, Lord? ask that you would please just take the time to look at your own hearts this morning. And as we play these two songs, uh, we're going to have this aisle over here and this aisle over here um, just ready to go. But if you would just funnel up those aisles, and then as you take communion, you can go around the outside or go down the middle. And I know some of you who are right in the middle, it might be a long walk, but that's okay. Just think of it like Jesus. He carried his cross too. For those of you who can't get up and need us to serve you communion, uh, Greg is ready to do that. Just raise your hand and he'll be walking around serving communion. But I want to read you from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 29. This is what it says. For I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus Christ took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy, in an unwor unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Here's the deal. Those are really heavy words. This is really serious to us. If you've got kids and you, and you know that uh, they have accepted Christ, man, help them understand what it means to take communion. Communion is honestly saying that the resurrection is real and has got the promises of God backed by them and we will walk in them. It is announcing that you are covered by the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that you desire the life of Christ more than anything else and there are some of us in this room that do need to work a little bit on going God I, I want to repent and that's okay because when we take this bread that's that's what we're saying God would you I, I thank you for dying on the cross Man, forgive me of my sins Lord it's in remembrance of him and so, please take the time, and I'll, I'll be here till two if you want to, but, uh, it, to take communion. But once you take communion, you can, cut, you, can, you can take it and go right back to your seats and wait to take it. You can come up and stand up here and worship with the worship team before you can take it, because I'll be serving them afterwards anyway. And so you can stay up there. You can, man, kneel right down here, what, whatever you want to do to take communion. But the question I'm asking you is would you please honestly be willing to look at your heart because if you're here today and you're saying that the resurrection is true, that means that all the other sayings of Jesus Christ are true as well. And you've got to be willing to look at those things. Let's pray.
God, I said a lot of words. But your promises are completely true. And God, that they have the power for new life. They have the power to free us from sin and death. That God, that they have the power to offer forgiveness not only to us, but that we can also offer forgiveness to others. That God, they have the power for salvation. That they are promises that you'll never abandon us. God, would we truly thirst for you? And would we live as if you've conquered sin in our lives? And God, thank you for uniting us to you so that we could live step in step with your Holy Spirit. Search our hearts, O oh God, as we sing these songs. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. Um, celebrating God and, and remembering his promises is, uh, uh, I love it. Um, when Seth first brought up the idea of the, the hollow bunny, there's one thing I did uh, want to say. First of all, okay. no matter how much of this world that we try to use to fulfill us, we're going to need chocolate again. The world's promises are empty. The promises we went over today are not. I do want to invite anyone that has any questions in that to, to come up and, and talk with Seth, myself, or in the back where, where Terry's at. Um, please, if you have any questions today. If not, thank you so much for uh, coming in on Easter. You all look amazingly beautiful in God's eyes. <laughs> and I, and I, I really hope you have a, a great Sunday. Please, uh, let's, just, let's just close this out in prayer, and, uh, and we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for this reminder. Thank you so much for the, the freedom to come here and, and worship you um, without being persecuted. And so, Lord, I, I pray uh, not just for myself, but, but for everybody here that, that throughout this week we can, maybe, maybe stronger than any other week this year, but we could kick it off and really just share you in every opportunity that we have. Lord, uh, being in relationship with you is not an addition to our life. It changes our life. It is our life. It's every aspect of our life. And so, uh, Lord, as we go on today, as we go on throughout the rest of the week, give us the strength, give us the words, give us the heart, give us the love, give us the forgiveness, give us the redemption, give us the fulfillment, the satisfaction. Lord, we love you. We ask all of these things. In your name, and we leave him at the most level playing field there is at the foot of the cross. And all God's people said, amen. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.